0: We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we're, we're just going to go in to something fantastic and amazing, into a world that was created by you know our special guest tonight. Uh, that would be Kate Elliott, and we're going to be talking about her new uh, novella, uh, Servant Mage, which, you know automatically piques my curiosity because there's a dragon on it and you can't go wrong with dragons
1: there's a dragon on the cover and daniel's like i should read that
0: yeah i mean that's just it dragons it doesn't need to say anything else other than hey look there's a dragon here done sold you must read it uh so thank you for coming on the show uh this evening and talking to us or you know, our, our listeners may be listening to this during the day or in the morning, but either way, it's the evening for us. And in some cases, you know, it's dark here, but in, where Kate's at, it's beautiful and lush. Oh and my it's gosh! It's the trust. There are so... some.
2: There are some clouds oh. out there. A few some rolling over the coal yeah so but yeah warmer than here. it It is a lot warmer i'm sorry to tell you a lot warmer than there um and i want to say something actually about dragons so i want to first of all say that that cover for servant mage was done by the artist tommy arnold and um designed by whoever the brilliant art department team is at tor.com and it's a great cover because yeah. it's a thematic cover, it tells you exactly what the theme of the story is, but you have to read it to understand why the cover is perfect. So it, it's, um, I love that cover, and I'm delighted by it. And yes. even though I have spent years working in this field, and I know better than to judge a book by its cover, I still do anyway, because <laughs> humans are visual, oftentimes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Are.
0: Yes, we are. I mean the the thing I love the most about this dragon is it has four legs. You know, it's not one of the weird newer it seems like nowadays dragons have two hind legs and the, their front legs are attached Which which
1: to technically makes them wyverns, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes, yeah. And so yeah. it's just so frustrating when I see that. It's like, "Oh, come on."
1: Side note, side note, and this is just me personally confessing here, but for years I pronounced it wyvern I oh, just but that's not that. what I
2: thought. That's not it.
1: No, I actually looked it up and the official, Wyvern. the official pronunciation, dictionary and all is Wyvern. Yep, Wyvern. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: Wyvern. Yeah. I, I like Wyvern better though. And Kate agrees with me, and she's yeah. a published author. Right. I so must be right.
2: You absolutely are right. We are right, and that is it. Yeah.
1: So so this is kind of a first of all, we are super thrilled anytime we get a true blue published author on the show, because inevitably there is some story about how it took grit. It took work. It took effort. And here you are doing what so many of our listeners wish that they you've crossed the finish line. They wish they have crossed. Maybe, maybe they will cross that in the future, but you're already there. How did you get your first book published? What was that journey like?
2: Wow, that was a long time ago. And I have to say that of all the things I've done in my 30 year publishing career so far is I'm still here. Um, And what I wanna say, if you have listeners who are aspiring writers or who are early in their career or midway through their career is that the single most important thing is just be determined and persistent Um, because that's what I did. I started writing as as a child. I started writing a lot as a teenager. I imprinted at 13 on Lord of the Rings like you do.
1: Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Glorfindel was my first book boyfriend. I just <laughs> need to get that out there.
1: Not, um, not Tom Bombadil. Congratulations. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> oh, that. Oh,
2: no, Tom Bombadil. I would have rather gone out with that barrel white. Um, oh, dang. But uh, yeah, poor Tom. He's misunderstood and underappreciated, I, I feel sure. Um, but yeah, so I kept writing. Um, I wrote into college. I wrote a novel that no one will ever see in high school. No one will ever see it, but I know where <laughs> it is. Um, and then I wrote a novel in college that I actually took to an agent who was very, very kind in the very kind things they said that basically told me that it wasn't publishable and probably wasn't very good, which is fine. That's normal. That's like what you do. And so I kept writing and my first published novel was the fifth novel I had written. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, I mean, that's, that's what that, I mean, that's the whole point is that you just keep doing it and you do it because you love it. And I started writing, not because I was thinking about publishing. I started writing because I wanted to tell stories and, one of the things that I notice um, today, to some extent, is that people will say to me, you know, oh, my my 12-year-old is writing a story. How can I get it published? And I want to say, just let them write. Let them write for the love of writing and for the love of creation. And then later, you can think about, you know, in a few years, you can think about getting it published. So I just kept writing. And once I got published, I was have so far been able to keep getting published Um, since that first book through ups and downs. I've had bad things happen to me. I've had good things happen to me as a writer and I've just kept plugging along.
1: Absolutely. Go ahead, Daniel.
0: I was going to say that that brings up a really good question, you know, with the ups and downs of life, how do you keep the resiliency to continue writing through those obstacles that, you know, that we all experience through life?
2: Well, that's a complicated question. Partly, I'm just a stubborn, stubborn person. (laughs) And I have been and if you would were to ask my parents, they would just laugh. Right. Um, So partly, I have the benefit of just having a remarkably stubborn personality. Um, I was just having a conversation with my agent this week about a uh, 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 oh, I don't even know how to say this. A difficult thing that's happening right now, not related to Servant Mage, but to a different book. And he was saying, he was talking about a different client of his, and and he said, "She's not tough like you are." <laughs> and and I thought, you know, that's, I mean, that. So maybe you're just tough and you just keep going because you put your, you have your moments. You you set aside your moments where you cry Mm -hmm. and you pound your fists in a temper tantrum or you don't do anything for a week because you're so upset or the three months you're too depressed to work or whatever. And you just accept that those things will ebb and flow in your life. Um, If you have just a tough minded personality, then you get back up. It's like being thrown off the horse. You get back on and keep riding. So that's like number one. Um, number two is for people who maybe struggle more is that I just think people need to be kind to themselves Mm. and and sometimes people will stop writing for six months a year five years and then they'll find their way back to it that's also okay you know there's not a one right way there's not you don't well maybe (laughs) I don't want to say you don't have to get back on the horse if you've been thrown off but maybe you don't do it right away. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways to negotiate it, but if you, if you want to write and you care about writing, you need to listen to yourself um, and kind of accept yourself and go with that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. No,
1: that's great. And you know, one of my favorite lessons to be learned from your experience is your first finished work is not necessarily your first published work and i think a lot of people think if i can just finish this book then i can get published or if i can just finish it you know and it's important of course you you can't publish an unfinished work but just because you finished it doesn't mean it hits shelves and that can be okay especially because each one of these stories i imagine is is part of like the author's maturation process, right? Like every one of these, you're gaining experience. You're learning what works and what doesn't. You're learning how to go with your muse and not against the inspiration and things like that, right? Like all the all the sort of growing pains that so many authors go through. You know, um, no
2: no words are wasted.
1: Yeah, that you yeah. write. Absolutely. Uh, let me ask you this: so so in the uh, first of all, how many published? let's say books. Cause I don't want to get into like short stories and anthologies, but how many published books of yours are currently in circulation?
2: Well, all of them because of the miracle of eBooks, right? Yeah, well, so they're not going next. Yeah. I do have books that are no longer that the print edition isn't um, in print. In other words, you could find them at used bookstores. So, but mm-hmm. I have, but everything is in because of eBooks. So, and I have servant mage, which is right. It's like, it's a novella so it's 40,000 words which means it's technically not a novel but it's really almost a novel so counting it as a book and not counting short fiction which i haven't read that much written that much of anyway um or and i only have one short fiction collection which i also am i counting that or not i can't remember anyway i um i've published 28 books
1: amazing and yes. and before the show, you mentioned that Servant Mage is not your typical fare. What are you, what are you best known for? What, what, what's your genre? What's your style?
2: So what people say to me is, is that um, when I get an idea for a short story, that turns into a novel. And if I get an idea for a novel, that turns into a five book series. I tend to write big. Um, there's different ways to talk about that. One could say I tend to sprawl. One could say I have an ambitious conceptual imagination, you know, and then everything in between those. But I really love epic stories. I love them more than anything, partly because I imprinted on Tolkien. I'm not trying to write like Tolkien. Um, Obviously, I can't and I don't want to anyway. (laughs) Um, But that, that, that space that's inside his stories, I love that. So I'm always, not always, but I'm often trying to capture that in what I write. And that means long books and usually trilogies. I would say the trilogy is my natural form.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Now, in terms of genre, do you tend to gravitate toward the fantasy?
2: I've written both fantasy and science fiction, and I have to confess to me, they're under the same umbrella. I kind of call them speculative fiction. I don't... I don't really perceive that much difference between the two. I really no difference between the two. She
1: sees, see, she sees the relationship between sci-fi and fantasy. This will come in handy during the lightning round later today.
2: Oh, good. Nice.
1: <laughs> so, so uh, you actually started to touch on something that came to my mind earlier, which is um, you, you mentioned that you wrote a book in, I think you said it was high school and that nobody will ever see that book. Um, and then you also mentioned that like, basically all of your published works are still published in, in circulation. Thanks to eBooks. Are there any works that you possess that you have not published
2: besides the high school, the high school one, which I have a typescript of um, Yeah, besides that one, besides well, that, that one, one too. Um, yes, two. Um, one is that book I wrote in college, which was a pretty standard fantasy it had mages and it had a princess and her and her ladies-in-waiting who have to escape the court because someone's trying to kill her and then you know that kind of stuff um it's not very good no reason it no reason it should be I wrote it when I was 19 um and that has never been published and furthermore I cannibalized it later Oh, nice! So I took some of the concepts, a few. Of th- I took the things I liked best about it, and I reworked them into another book. So I wouldn't want to use it anyway, and it's honestly not worth it to me to rewrite it. Um, what,
1: what book did that material land in?
2: Crossroads Trilogy, which starts with Spirit Gate. It has to do with the mages. It has to do with the mages. So in this, in this book that I wrote when I was 19, the, there's nine sorcerers or mages and they each wear a different colored cloak, which is how you identify them. And that cloak has a specific power associated with it. I don't know, you know, I was 19, it sounds good. still sounds good to me, frankly. Um, in the Crossroads trilogy, um, there are mages and they each have a different color cloak. Um, oh, and, and, they were, and they get around on flying horses. So oh, I love and that. that's also from, that's also from the original one. <laughs> so that's, that's, I just took that. That was the thing that most interested me in the story.
0: I mean, I mean um, the Colored Cloaks isn't very far from what Robert Jordan did
1: with the Aes Sedai. Oh, that, that's exactly what came to my mind. I was like, Ooh, cool. Oh yeah. You know, various yeah. Various
2: yeah, If only I had published it. I've never read Wheel of Time. So I, I don't know that, but I did see the TV show. Um, yeah. So yeah, that actually, yeah. Colored Cloaks are great because they like, give you instant. It's an instant, easy way to, to uh, distinguish something when it's in a world that isn't our world, and maybe the reader, you know, is struggling to kind of keep things to, to make sense of how this world works as opposed to our world. Um, so it's a good shorthand. I yeah. liked it. And then I do have, the, and then and then so so um, my one, two, three, sorry, my fifth published novel. Duran started life as my second written novel. I'm sorry. I have to think about that as I, (laughs) as I go, it was like rewritten nine times over 10 years before I finally got it in a shape that it was publishable. So the second, the third, so there is a book in that series that I wrote an entire draft of set it aside. And then when I, when I rewrote the whole series from the beginning, completely rewriting Jerron, and I got to that sequence in the story, I, I completely threw out the entire story because it was wrong. And I rewrote the core of that. The core of that story was the story of a young man and how he finds his place in the world. And um, everything about that early version was just wrong. So that core I kept. The characters I kept, but everything else is different. And that became the law of becoming. And you wouldn't even know the two books related. If you, if you read the first one, no one will ever read the, the uh, original draft.
0: So where did the inspiration for Servant Mage come from?
2: Um, the English Civil War. Okay. The, the, years ago, there was a uh, British TV show called by the sword divided, mm. which I watched back in the day, good costumes. I actually don't remember. So it's that a family that gets split in the English civil war. Some are Royalists and some are Cromwellians, parliamentarians, right? And, um, and I don't remember anything about the show except the one story line, which was a minor storyline about a young man who works on these, because of course the main characters are the Lords on the estates. And he's like, a servant guy, you know, from a servant family. And he um, leaves the family to go sign up for Cromwell's parliamentarian army because he thinks that's cool. Um, And he's tired of working for these people and being, you know, a servant. And in the course of it, he falls in with what are called the levelers. And the levelers were like so radical that the parliamentarians and Cromwell thought that they were bad news. And in the, and this, this is so old that I'm going to spoil it. So <laughs> the end of this character is that all the levelers who are in the army, because they wanted to level, they believed in leveling everything else why they were called levelers. They believed in total social equality and nope, nobody in power really wants that. Right. And, and this poor young man met his end, lined up with all the rest of them and they were all shot by their own side. Ooh. And I just, that struck me when I saw it and over the years, I've always tried to write about the people. I, I like writing about power. I think fantasy is often a literature of power and how mm-hmm. does power work? Um, but uh, I like to look at it from as many sides as possible, not just from the people in power, but from the people who aren't in power. And uh, Servant Mage really is a story of me wanting to talk about what happens to the people who aren't in power and who don't really benefit after a revolution it doesn't really matter which side wins yeah they're gonna get kind of squashed anyway and this is that story um, and i wanted to tell it to myself and i wanted to come up with a really cool magic system that mm-hmm. i could play with so those were the two those are the two things
0: no i mean i i, I like that premise because you're, you're right you know the, the peons so to say it doesn't matter who wins. It's just, okay. So what rule set do we now have to live by? Is it, you know, team A or team B? Right. They both suck either way, but you know, whether we, uh, you know, toss our vegetables in, in a wastebasket tomorrow, or we throw them out the window. Uh, that's kind of what, where the rules go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it meant a lot to me to explore that from the main character's point of view.
0: So hopefully you're jumping into
1: the magic system. Uh, almost, almost. I, I still okay. have questions about characters though. Okay, uh, And then we'll talk about the magic system. Okay. But So the main character is a young lady. And yes. uh, how do you pronounce her name?
2: I say Felian.
1: Felian. But, okay, but cool.
2: you know, I never pronounced Wyvern, Wyvern correctly for all my life. Right. So my rule of thumb is with rare exceptions. However, readers pronounce the name in their head is fine.
1: Oh, well, that's a good question. Have you ever met a reader who was talking to you about a character and their pronunciation of the name was so off you corrected them?
2: Um, uh, I hope not, <laughs> Or if I did, I hope I wasn't rude.
1: <laughs> I. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I... I feel that like the moment I found out Wyvern was Wyvern, I was like, oh, have, my whole world's been a lie, you know?
2: I know. I'm still like, we're going to, it's going to take us a long time to get over this.
1: And then, you know, when, when an author is building a world, there are often uh, an author is connected to just about every character they write, but some characters more so than others. Is there a particular character that when you got to write for them, it was just pure joy. Like you loved writing for that character.
2: You mean in this particular book in or this, in my work? In this, in this particular, particular
1: book. In um,
2: you know, there aren't a lot. For me, there's really not that many characters in this book. So the group of five who we spend most of the time with, I, there was something about each of them that I admired and liked. And that made me enjoy writing them and their interactions. And one of the things about writing a novella for me was that I had to keep the cast list very tight and very focused.
1: So, And then the last question I'll ask before we get to magic is, you know, sometimes authors sit down and they're writing the story and they hit a point where they know they need to get from one side of the story chasm to the other. And every way they try just doesn't seem to work. But then they feel this inspiration to do something they don't want to do to their characters, but it's the right thing to do for the story. Was there a moment like that in this book? And if not, was there a moment in one of your previous books that was like that?
2: Oh, this happens to me all the time. <laughs> um, I, but I, I, it's harder for me. I'm trying to think. That part of the problem about being interviewed and talking about a book that just came out is that like, I have two finished I have two finished novels that I finished since I finished that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, I'm like having to like pull my brain back. Right. Um, I'm not, I don't, maybe not so much in this one. There is a thing that happens in this book that is very unpleasant um, that involves, uh, I'll just say content warning that involves a child death. Mm. Um, I always knew it was gonna happen though. Um, I didn't enjoy, I wasn't doing it to be edgy. I was doing it because the plot demanded it and I always knew it. Um, So I didn't enjoy writing that, um, but I wouldn't say, but it wasn't unexpected. Um, I can't, I would have to, I would have to think a little bit more, but this does happen to be a lot where I'll go, oh no, no, not that. No, I, I refuse, I refuse to do that. And then, you know, Three days later, it's like, well, I guess I'm gonna do that. It's very <laughs> Absolutely. annoying. Absolutely. That the unconscious mind does a lot of work that yes, we're it not does. Yeah. 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 Amazing. So
0: we went to characters. I really want to hear about I, I love magic systems and unique magic systems that are beyond the normal, hey, it's a wizard, he's throwing fireballs and lightning bolts. Yeah. I want to hear about this because that's always really exciting for me, especially when I'm reading it and, and learning about it.
2: So so what's interesting to me about this magic system is I haven't really written, uh, I don't think I've ever written a systemized magic system before where I like really sat down and made a chart and thought about levels and, and a, a chart with, you know, it, it's an elemental magic system. So there's five elemental what five elemental elements and then five levels but the this so partly I just wanted to do it because I hadn't done it and I'm always trying to do things I haven't done before rather than do the same things over and over again Mm -hmm. but the other thing was that because the story is about a young woman who has a mage ability and how the people in power use people with mage ability, whether it be the monarchists or the liberationists who are the two factions. But the important thing for me, as I made my chart and thought about how it would work, was that rather than this isn't a chosen one series, you know, someone doesn't suddenly get flooded with the power that makes them able to, you know blow up the world right this isn't a story in which people have an inborn inherited trait it's the the ability to do magic is something that appears uh it's not quite at random but it's kind of at random it's not related to your bloodline who you're related to or any of those things um and it needed to be a magic system that conceivably that the, the mages weren't so powerful that they would end up becoming major political players which is what I did in my spirit walker trilogy in which one of the questions that begins with cold magic which is also an alternate history um and based on our based on our world but um and it has a it has an alternate napoleon I'm sorry I love alternate uh, Napoleon's. folks nice.
1: at a home the smile on her face is 10 miles wide <laughs> she obviously loves that story very much. And I, think I that's do love
2: a- that story very much. But that, the thing about that one was was um, was that, hold on, my brain is firing like 5,000 times now. <laughs> um, the thing about that was that one of the speculative questions I was asking with the cold magic world is, why are mages serving kings when they could have their own power base if they were powerful enough? So that that's one of the things that I investigate in that series. So in this one, I wanted to ask the opposite question, which is how, if people have this ability to do magic, how can it be controlled or how does the magic function such that you could keep someone at a low level of magic and use that magic if you were in power for your convenience and to enhance your power without them ever getting, without this low level mage ever getting powerful enough to do anything about it which is why the story is called servant mage so this story is also a story about access to education Mm. and the magic system is built around this idea that if you can't get training you will always stay at this lower level of what you can do with your magic and it's only with increased access and the ability to train and learn, which is something that you need the leisure to do, right? It has to be the focus of what you're doing. Like if someone went to get a PhD or to medical training, right? You can't, I mean, there's different ways in old days, you could apprentice with a healer, but we think of medical training today. You have to focus on that. That's the focus of your work for six, seven years, eight years. And so that was the other thing that played into it. And I made a chart with levels and And part of the story is felling in, finding out about all this. No, I I
0: like that. that. That brings up a really good question that I've never really looked at. Like, there are always stories where you have the king and he's got his wizard. And it's like, that wizard could just like toast him at any moment. But why is he not the one in power? I've never really thought about that till now, because there's a lot of truth to that.
1: It's a question, yeah. When we look at world history too, um, I mean, the debate, the debate that sometimes rises in our own country about separation of church and state is is born of the history in England where you had monarchs that dictated religious beliefs and religious powers that dictated politics, right? So, I think it's very interesting that the point that you're bringing up, which is if you have a political figurehead or even a political leader, let's make that distinction. And then you have someone who can, who can control nature and the elements. Why is, why is the political leader in power and the manipulator of nature not? And in some stories, it is the case that the wizard takes over. And almost always we, you know, we explore absolute power corrupts absolutely and all that jazz. Right. right? Um, So I think it's very interesting that you have people who are just, it's almost like like you said, it's a story about education. It's also a, a, a story about being differently abled, right? Like there yeah. you have this, you have the servant mage. They're not powerful enough to stand on their own in terms of like sociopolitical strength, but they can also do things that other people can't do. And so they get used, they get utilized, they get indentured.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, you might be able to use some of those things on a personal level. There's a Um, because it's a hierarchical society and and Philean's a young woman at one point she either says or thinks that she was able to use her 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 level of fire magic to keep people away from her which is a oblique reference to the idea that she was never assaulted physically because she knew she figured out how to use it but that was all she had but that's a big deal right um, she meets someone else who you kind of suspect that didn't have that option, um, mm. and it's never it's never discussed. This isn't a story about any of those things, so it's very oblique. You have to read between the lines, uh, but it was something I wanted to to suggest. But uh, but you're right about that. It is it it people use people people in power who want to keep in power will use people however they can. Um, and I also want to say something that you you both have said, though, made me think a little bit about how, to some extent in fantasy, mages kind of take the role of the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages of Europe. Yeah, kind of. A, a, yeah. So so you have Henry IV at Canossa kneeling before the Pope, and all the Pope really had, I don't know how many, I don't think the Pope at that time, whose name I can't remember, had much of an army. Henry had the army, but the Pope had whatever his, he could, he could, um, he had the moral authority. He could make Henry's life miserable um, <laughs> and get everyone to, to turn away from him because the Pope said so, to do so. Yeah. So Henry was required to kneel barefoot in the snow, right? Yeah. And that's a form of power too. And, and sometimes I feel like the mage king thing kind of replicates that to some extent. I don't know, just a thought.
0: No, I mean, that's a great thought, uh, you know, you know the Pope had the power of the people, and Henry can't be king without the people beneath him. Because I mean, the Pope says this, and his army's gone. Um, so I, I think the ma- the maids' parallel there is, is very similar. I mean, granted, he doesn't have the power of the people, but he definitely has the power of the elements in the universe that could drop a fireball or an asteroid yeah. or a mountain or whatever on top of the king.
2: And, well, and I've watched all of the Wick. I've watched all of the Witcher, the the two seasons. Yeah. And which I've enjoyed. I'm, I'm always happy to see fantasy. Well, I'm not always happy to see fantasy on television, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I've enjoyed it and, you know, Henry Cavill is, oh
1: um, yeah. How do you, I how do you not enjoy Henry Cavill? How right? do you
2: not enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, exactly. But um, I, I do sometimes think why are these mages not toppling these Kings? Yeah. Cause they seem pretty powerful.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: there are there are, I mean, I, yeah, anyway.
1: So, That's which, which brings up a philosophical concept that, we, that we've been touching on, old, you know, multiple times now, which is, is the power to bend the elements and nature, is that still second to the power of winning hearts and minds? Or is it more like, are we talking about ruling through inspiration? Are we talking about ruling through fear or does it even matter? Because you have these, or, or is it just that no one has written that story where you have a benevolent mage who is both, who is both a magic wielder and a political leader?
2: Well, I wrote that story. I wrote oh, it in Cold really? Magic. Oh, really? Yeah. I wrote it in Cold Magic. Yeah.
1: In Cold Magic. I like that.
2: Yeah. Although well, it's, set, it's set in the ni- early 19th century alternate Europe where there are was an extended ice age. So there are no Germanic tribes at all. Oh, wow. So there's no nation states, which means it's still this blend of Celtic um, principalities. The, the, the Roman empire still around, not nearly as strong as it was. You know, Iberia was never fully conquered by Rome. And because of um, an, uh, an event 200 years previously, the incredibly rich Malian empire people had to flee um that area of West Africa and came north so it's a afro celtic europe but mm-hmm. it's based on principality levels there aren't nation states it's set in about 1818
1: but you, the you, equivalent yeah you sound like i mean this 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 is not the first time this interview alone that you've mentioned like alternate histories and and then you you bring up like these stories that i think the average listener does may not know much, very much about um it sounds like you're a lover of history. What was your major in college?
2: English. I'm sorry.
1: No, no, the,
2: no. I'm really lazy. I'm really lazy. And getting an English degree was the easiest thing for me to get. But Bro, I, I hear you. Yeah. I really wanted to major in anthropology, but I went to, this is kind of a funny story, which I'll tell. Um, uh, I went to a women's college, Mills College in Oakland, California. And I wanted to major in anthropology, but they only had one anthropology professor. And I didn't like him. For one thing, he would go to the pool. This was in the 70s. He would go Mm -hmm. to the pool in a Speedo in the US. And I'm like, no, right? No. So I didn't major in anthropology, (laughs) Um, which makes me sad. If I'd gone anywhere else, I would have majored in anthropology. Um, But I, and I took history but didn't major in it for reasons. I don't quite understand, but English was easy for me. So I majored in English.
1: I know exactly that feeling. I was do an you? I do, I was an English major with a, uh, I w- I, it wasn't even quite a minor at the college I was going to, it was a certificate of achievement in, uh, film and media production. And uh, for whatever it's worth, I did not finish either of those things. As I went into the technical industry, I went into like the, the technology industry. And now I have two different degrees in computer science. But the, the joke that I often would make as I would speak at like freshman seminars is I used to be an English major, but then I decided I wanted to make a living.
2: Exactly. So,
1: yeah. But here yeah. you are, here you are an English major who is making a living through your incredible writings. You've got 30 books out you know uh, nearly 30 books uh, published and in circulation you've put 30 years of your life into this and now we're talking about a brand new novella and i'm i'm honestly curious i realize this is a novella which which if i'm not mistaken per your description earlier puts it between like it's greater it, it, it's larger than a short story but it's not quite a novel so it's in that like middle space is that what we're saying
2: Yeah, the uh, novellas, I believe, tend to be 20 to 40,000 words. So 40,000 and up would be a novel. And um, like, I think a lot of mysteries, those really brisk mysteries written in that kind of terse, I'm going to call it the terse masculine style, right? They would be probably 70, 75,000, and then you get up to the Brandon Sanderson, 400,000, right? (laughs) So there's a range. So novel really goes a long ways. Yeah, Um, it does. So the novella is funny. Uh, I have heard it said that the novella is the perfect length for a science fiction story because it's, you can fit an idea in it perfectly. It's bigger than a short story. So you can spend time with the world building and you can really flesh out that idea with some characters, but it's not a novel. So you don't have to like keep going when you are out of your idea. So, um, I just, I did it partly just as an exercise to challenge myself.
0: <laughs> you And, then, and I, I was going to say, I think a lot of like old Westerns are also like, yes. um, they're not yes. super long, but it's enough to get a good beefy story in.
1: Yeah, I like that. And and to your point, like you said, you were trying to challenge yourself because as you said earlier, you you tell stories big. There is breadth and depth to your story that requires time and words. Right. Um, Now I realized this was, you wrote this. uh, It sounds like it was a test, maybe even a bit of an experiment, but novel
0: or novella.
1: Yeah. It's a standalone. It's a standalone novella. Yeah. But now that it's out in the wild, now that it's, now that it's out of your head and and you've written two more books of, of different stories since uh, on a scale of zero to 100, what is the percent chance that servant mage gets a sequel?
2: Well. I don't know. I can't, I, I I don't want to, that's too hard for me. There is, it's actually a prequel because I actually got the idea for this world and the thing going on in it with the aft. what I call the aftermath of the revolution, um, 10 years ago. And it's totally, it, it, the, the book is totally different. Um, when you look at servant maids, you wouldn't realize that the two were related. So the other thing I'm always doing like three or four or five things when I'm working on any of my books. I mean, I have to love what I'm doing and I want it to be entertaining. That's the main thing, but um, it's also me teaching myself more about this world in case I write that book, which I want to write because it's got a really interesting um, thematic element that I want to investigate which is how kids don't really know about the lives their parents had before these children before the child was born
0: I like it all yeah. right listeners you got to go run out and buy this book just so we can get that that
2: if enough people <laughs> buy it then I will feel obliged to write
1: yes the so follow-up the well, original just, the original story this. that yeah. just sounds that just sounds like we're crowdfunding the sequel and I am 100 percent for it <laughs> Uh, and you know, I mentioned earlier that uh, that I was studying film and media production, and so like cinema is dear and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm always curious, from your perspective, what book or series of books, if you had a magic wand, would you turn into a into? I, I'm kind of curious. What 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 story would you turn into a single film, versus like a trilogy or a pentology? A single film.
2: Of. Oh. Of that I've written,
1: of your or, books,
2: of my books.
1: Of okay, for books.
2: a single film, I would turn the short novel that is coming out next January, which is uh-huh. a contemporary fantasy, and it would star Rachel Weiss. Ooh.
1: Ooh. Okay, so great choice.
2: It's a yeah, it's a portal fantasy, and it's funny and it's great.
1: Are Are you able to tell us the title of this book yet? Uh,
2: the title's called The Keepers Six.
1: The Keepers six, and you say it comes out January of next year? Yep. The Keepers six, January twenty twenty
2: three. It hasn't been officially officially announced yet, but I don't think that it's any secret that <laughs> that's the title. So,
1: well, <laughs> here's a semi official announcement. Here's
2: a semi official. That's right. And um, anyway, yeah, I'm. It's it's. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's another. I, I need
0: to have Kate come back either in December or January to talk about this, um,
1: right? yes and
2: it would work it would work it's it's fifty two thousand words so it's a little longer than a novella but it's a very short novel it's like one of those westerns right only it's yeah. very compressed um and it has dragons
0: mm, so rachel weiss dragons done dragons
2: um and it's funny i mean you yeah know, Ooh. You, know,
0: you don't need a mummy in there we got the dragons, so we're good
1: Right. We can't we
2: have Brendan Fraser and what's his mm. name? Arnold, Arnold,
1: uh, Arnold and, Vosloo um, and, and
2: Oded, Bear, Oded fair. Sorry. I just yeah. rewatched the movie. Oh,
1: oh, dead for one
2: of my favorite films of all time.
1: You know, yeah, I love that movie too. I, I think, and, and the internet has not been kind toward Brendan Fraser in the way that he's aged, but that, that aside, um, be fair, the man
0: had a really nasty divorce. Uh, that's, yeah, that's- you know
1: what? He's he is a swell human being. He is yeah. not a bad yeah. person. And uh, and I love him to pieces. And I love the Mummy. The I realize that there's some like tropish campiness to it, but it's sort of like an homage to the classic uh, Mummy movies of of yesteryear, as it were. I love the Mummy. The Mummy too, The Scorpion King. The whatever. I I I could I, whatever. I don't really care. But like the that first Brennan Fraser Mummy movie. You know what? You know what scene sticks out in my head most in that movie? Which one? Is when is when. uh. Hang on a second. I think his name, it's Eddie, right? The, the dude is, oh, Benny, Benny. Benny is running yeah. away from Brendan Fraser and Brendan just nonchalantly reaches down, grabs a chair and throws it and then entangles Benny and trips him up. I'm like, that was the most amazingly masculine thing I've seen ever. I, it's, it's I, I threw a chair. I threw a chair.
2: It's a great film. It's actually- People do talk about it like a B film but it's really well written. Yeah, and oh, yeah. The pacing is perfect and everything makes sense and every character you get the impression there's more to them if they had more time on stage.
1: Oh yeah. Right they're oh, not. Yeah.
2: I and and it gleefully kills off so many <laughs> secondary characters who are good guys. I've never seen so many good guy secondary characters get off in a film before.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great one. And tying into the previous question I asked, is there any one of your works that you think would translate well to a series as opposed to a single film? And and maybe we're talking about a trilogy of films, but really what I'm thinking of is like, it's like what we've seen on Prime with Wheel of Time. But
2: multi seasons, I yeah, this is something I thought about. I have to say I wrote a seven volume epic fantasy, epic epic fantasy series set in a early medieval kind of setting with a lot of the inspiration drawn from medieval early medieval Europe called crown of stars which begins with king's dragon it's it's long there's a lot of it Um, but it would be with with the interest in um, these big fantasy series it has the big big epicness and it also has what I call the soap opera quality of Game of Thrones. And in fact, <laughs> the early volumes were being written at exactly the same time. Oh, wow. They were like published. The first two books were published almost simultaneously. Game of Thrones, King's Dragon. And then what's the second one? Clash of Kings. Is that his? And then Prince of Dogs was the second of mine. Anyway, so, um, but, but, but I finished mine and yes. moved on to write other things. <laughs> so, but I don't have nearly as much money as George Martin does. So,
1: well, you also haven't murdered 98% of your cast. So,
2: you know, I killed, you know what? You know what? I'm just going to say this. This isn't something I say very often, but years ago, years ago, when Usenet was still a thing, um, for some reason I was, I wasn't, I didn't get on Usenet much because I didn't really know how to find it or for whatever reason, but I was checking I was on Usenet one day and someone said, yeah, they say that game of thrones uh, is brutal but have you read king's dragon <laughs> oh dang nice <laughs> yeah so i'm like I'm that
0: she's killed more people than george
1: has you know well it's set in an alternate
2: people, killing people is easy
1: yeah mm. it is it is set in an alternate europe where bloody conflicts rage uh, beautiful, love it. Uh, it looks very like fantasy medieval. I love everything about the and cover there's, work.
2: There's a yeah, those are Jody Lee. Jody Lee did the covers for those um, in the U.S. I don't know who did the. I can't remember the name of the guy who did the covers on the UK versions, but it's filled with characters having a lot of interpersonal and political intrigue. Nice. Um, and it would actually it would it would translate really well. Uh, the Spirit Walker Cold Magic books would be great too, but they'd be harder. I think, to do. So uh,
1: if you were to assign a cinematic rating to your books, you know, G, PG, PG-13, R, NC-17, what have you, uh, where does this series of seven books fall? I'd say PG-13. What about Servant Mage, same?
2: Um. Yeah, it's probably a little more g
1: Oh, okay. So more like Because
2: it's, it it might be, yeah. Because the difference between Spirit Walker and um, Crown of Stars is Crown of Stars is third person. And it's got a cast of thousands, but it's done in third person. Spirit Walker, I wrote the entire trilogy in first person from a single point of view. I was trying to write something shorter. It didn't work out because by the, you know, each book got progressively longer like I do. Um, (laughs) All from one person's point of view, but she has things that she won't you know, it's all filtered through her. And she's not someone who is rude. Well, I mean, she can be rude, but not in that way. She's not going to speak about things explicitly. So for example, there is indeed a a romance in the cold magic books. um, And a friend of mine that as we say late this is a spoiler, but no one who reads it is going to be surprised by this. (laughs) Um, Late in book two, that comes to fruition, as we say euphemistically. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine who read the, Beta read the story, emailed me and said, really? Really? You're just going to draw the curtain? And then the next chapter starts, you know, in the morning, the birds were singing, right? She goes, she goes, I don't accept this. And I said, OK, OK, listen. So I wrote a secret chapter, not from the main character's point of view, but in third person from the love interest point of view. So that chapter exists, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, you can. But I wrote that for my for my friend um, because she was so upset. But but my <laughs> point of view character, whose name is Kat, Catherine, um, she would never have told it. So that's why it's PG. She wouldn't have related those things. She wouldn't have said so. It was too personal. to clever.
1: That's clever. Her. That's clever. Yeah. Well, what about Servant Mage? Is Servant Mage PG or PG thirteen?
2: I would say it's PG. Maybe PG thirteen. Probably PG thirteen for for okay. violence for violence.
1: I you know what PG thirteen violence? It's a good thing.
2: Well, you know, it, I I've, I realize how jaded I've become. Sadly, um, in terms of how much violence seems normal to normalized. Yeah. Yes. In, in what we see in Hollywood now.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I I, I've had this conversation many times offline as well, which is, you know, it used to be in in the days of radio drama or even in in the early fifties of television where if someone died, I mean, that was high drama. If you showed the body on screen, not, you know, not with gore and viscera, but just a dead body. yeah, (gasps) It was stunning. That wasn't something you talked about. That wasn't something you showed. And now we have myriad true crime shows where it's like, if you don't have at least one dead body on the episode, then what's the episode even doing? And, and people, aren't, people aren't phased anymore. If you kill a character in a movie, um, it does, it's not really shocking unless you've given it some time for like some emotional development. And even then we're very desensitized to that yes. sort of thing.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, I actually don't like that trend.
1: No, I don't either. And I'm not sure that there's any way to go back at this point, right?
2: Yeah. I think, I mean, as a writer, if I'm going to have death in a book and I do write about death, I try to make it matter or to comment. If I can't make the death matter, then I try to comment on the fact that it doesn't. Mm, However, that can be worked in. I, I don't like things where people just die in droves and it's just like, whatever it's, it's eye candy. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I don't like it.
1: Nope, totally understand, totally agree.
2: You know, if Jimmy Cagney slugged someone in an old film, that was a big deal, right? <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, there's like on-screen violence. Yeah. yeah. Well, and interestingly, and this is a trend I this is a trend that though, you know, I'm all for equality, but I still like this trend, which is violence depicted against men in a movie does not have the same weight as violence depicted against women in a movie yeah. even if yeah. we're talking about a male soldier and a female soldier if they're both soldiers if it's violence against a woman that is considered more of like a trigger element mm-hmm. and uh it 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 can increase the severity of the rating in both television and film and i i there's part of me that appreciates that despite you know despite loving equality there's part of me that appreciates that that there's still some sensitivity in our society but. Well,
0: that there's you have the violence against children that just throws that up even mm-hmm.
2: higher. yeah yeah right yeah. right, right. Yeah. It, it's it's it, yeah there's this lot of sociological interest i watch a lot of not a lot i don't watch a lot of um chinese historical drama or Korean K-drama, but mm-hmm. I watch some. And it's really interesting to me to see how these things are handled differently. You don't see the sheer degree of mayhem. Um, violence is, is used, but it's, I, I think it's used in a more, in I, I wanna say a more careful way. And it's deemed, it's seen as something that is, should be more shocking.
1: Yeah, um, I I agree that both both Japanese and Korean content especially tends to m- more skillfully manage the psychological aspects of the media as opposed to the salacious.
2: There's a there's a great Korean historical drama called Mr. Sunshine which is it's a it's a tragedy of epic proportions just oh. Well, it's set in Korea in I think it starts in like 1906, right? So and so you've got a a Korean boy who escaped slavery and was raised in the U S and is now coming back as a Marine officer. So just go with me there. There weren't, there weren't actually, but, but I'm, I'm good with it. It's fine. Right. So he comes back to Korea. So he's with the Americans and then you have the Koreans and then you have the Japanese. Well, we know what's going to happen. It's a historical drama. It's not a fantasy, right? Right. And nothing good is going to happen. And, and just the, the way things play out and the way that, the people you get to know how they end up dying. It's just crushing every time. And even secondary characters, you're just, you're hammered by it because they care about those relationships. Uh, And it's, you know, it's painful, but it's also cathartic.
1: That's important. Thank you very much. Now I've, now I've got to go look at Mr. Sunshine and now I've got a new series to watch.
2: Right. Oh, it's yeah.
1: Well, Daniel, we're we're running very short on time, but you know, there's one more thing we got to do. Lightning round, okay? We got to do the lightning round. All right, all right. So, Kate, so the lightning round is a gift that Daniel has given me uh, over the last year or so. I get to ask you a quick laundry list of questions. They will, I'll especially start off with just like some random softball type questions. Not a big deal. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want much thought put into it. I just want like an immediate answer. Sound good? Yes. Excellent look, you're doing very well. Here we go. All right, so Kate, what is your favorite color?
2: The land speed.
1: Oh, of but. A- <laughs> <laughs> Excellent reference. Excellent reference. That's right. No, <laughs> favorite color. Go. Blue. No green. Ah! All right.
2: Exactly. <laughs> you're welcome. Into
1: Thank UK. you. <laughs> uh, what were the colors of the cloaks in your book? With the mages that had like the color cloak designation.
2: This isn't a lightning round question. This, this is a lightning round question. Unfair. Okay. Um, unfair. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, um, I don't know. I wrote this a long time ago. Brown, red, right. uh-huh. green, blue. Very good. Did you research this? While no. I, was the, I have um, no idea. I think white, black. What am I at? I'm at seven. Um, um, silver, silver. And I don't know, foggy. No, wait, there's one more. I don't know. And then one other one. Oh.
1: Purple, purple. Purple. Got to be foggy. the colors of the
2: rainbow right? Silver, and foggy and, and purple. And foggy I like it. and purple. Yeah. No, no,
1: no, I'm I'm totally down if there's not a foggy cloak in your books, I'm going to be very very disappointed. Uh, awesome. Are you a pet person?
2: Yes. Do you want me to go get my schnauzer?
1: Oh, oh, no. The fact that you have a dog means you're automatically cool. It's perfectly fine. And
2: better yet. Wait, we're not done. Do you know oh, what my oh. schnauzer's name is?
1: Wait, um, wait, wait. uh, uh Scotty.
2: Fingolfin. No! We call him Finn for short.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. You know wonderful. what my last
2: schnauzer's name was? What? Theoden.
1: <gasps> oh. Oh. So, there you go. Ride with the Rohirrim, Theoden. Okay. Okay. Here's the last question. Ready? Uh, what is your stance on 1983 sci-fi fantasy film, Kroll?
2: Oh, my God. I'd forgotten about it. I saw it in a the theater. <gasps>
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
2: Is that the one where he gets pinned to the walls by arrows through his hands, and then he pulls his hands out of the wall with the mm-hmm. arrows still in them? No, then he fights? That's no, not that one. It's not Which that one, one. Is that well? That Wait. sounds.
1: Uh, is that Cole the Conqueror with? Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 uh, no. No, but I'm gonna have to look that one up. That sounds amazing. Cole so is the one with the the, the
0: glaive and the the, a, the alien and, and the Black Tower. Kroll
1: is is where the alien, the beast, lands on another world, the world of Kroll, and you have sort of like natural magic mixed with medieval uh, kingdoms fighting off an alien invasion force.
2: K-R-U-L-L. Correct. Okay. I know I saw it in the theater and- I only remember the guy with the arrows in his hands. So that must have been from a different okay that
1: that's gotta be a different movie because there are absolutely no arrow hands in this one. However, there there is a
2: tower. Was there a tower? Yes, the black
1: fortress, the black fortress. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So your stance is I don't fully remember. I'm gonna have to watch it again.
2: Maybe no, no, I'm gonna avoid watching it again. come on watch the mummy again instead
1: oh i you know what i would join you on that Uh, i'll watch the mummy with you but i really do want you to watch crawl with me i think i think it would be a marvelous romp through fantasy
2: what's it on
1: uh it is currently available uh, i think mostly for purchase uh anywhere you go but it's like on prime it's on movies anywhere All um but it's not like on Netflix or anywhere where you can stream it for free at stream this Stream it for
2: free. I'll, I'll I'll see how much it costs and I'll think about it. Uh, it
1: is currently owned by Columbia TriStar, which is owned by Sony and Sony keeps everything kind of locked up, so. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for indulging me in the lightning round. I always enjoy those moments and you had some fantastic answers tonight. Thank you so very much.
2: Um, I want to thank you both so much. I know whenever people say they are worried that things will be a train wreck and not have enough talking to fill up the space i just laugh this is why i write long books (laughs) because i have a lot to say (laughs) No, we're really good
0: at uh filling space and time uh so this is you know the podcast has been around for over 13 years we're going on 14 so Mm -hmm. wow
2: that is so impressive
0: so uh you know so listeners go pick up this novel because one i want to find out what happens after this novel you know kate threw out a little hint of what is more to come if we can make it awesome because yeah i mean let's let's sort of crowdfund this uh the better this book does the more likely we're going to get more of a continuation of the story Uh, for those of you that haven't read any of her stuff uh, there's been a lot of great titles and names of novels and series that you should go pick up and 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 read.
1: Yes, please go I, check out Crown of Stars starting with King's Dragon and also look out for The Keeper's 6 January of next year.
2: Can yeah. I just quickly quickly add that on my website I have a post called Where should I start with your novels in which I describe <gasps> the books as if it, they were a a Korean boy band. By <laughs> I said you might like this if you're looking for the athletic sexy one and you might like anyway. So if they read through it they can maybe get a sense of which of my series might suit them best. Oh, I oh, love gosh. everything
1: about that. Uh by the way, where is your what is your website? Where can they find this?
2: It's um that is on imakeupworlds.com.
1: Imakeupworlds.com.
0: Love that. I love the fact that the name of your 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 site, but the fact that you use Korean boy but
1: you know as your scale on a gamut
0: of of K-pop boys, yeah, because my oldest daughter loves BTS and she yeah. is really into that and the Korean soap opera stuff. Yep, that's just the perfect scale for those type of readers. So, if you know what type of Korean boy band or that the the whatever your flavor is, go check out Kate's website to see what your favorite book series is going to be. And if you, if nothing else, you want a good laugh, that's, that's a, a good thing, but pick up some novels, uh, cause reading is awesome. Uh, pick up this book. Cause we want to hear more and you know, not only that, it helps Kate want to write more cause
2: I do, I do want to write more.
0: Yeah. That, that's very important. Uh, especially since she's in this beautiful tropic location and I would be like probably spending all my time writing on the beach. If I were you, um, So, actually,
2: actually, I'm an outrigger canoe paddler, but oh,
0: Oh. yes, yes, dang it. See, another reason I need to move to Hawaii in every way,
1: in every way, a superior author to anything I've ever done.
0: Yes, so, folks, (laughs) again, thank you for this wonderful interview, Kate. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. We definitely would love to have you back uh, when the next book comes out. And,
1: folks, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. And dungeon crawlers, tell your story, whatever it may be. And always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always.